Sober in the city, real life, real addiction, real recovery. Call in now from all over the USA, 1-800-SOBER-05. Welcome back. Here's your on-air sponsor, Debbie Strand. This is Sober in the City, brought to you by Believe Treatment Center. Believe Treatment Center understands and treats all forms of addiction. Call now, 1-855-874-2354, or visit believetreatmentcenter.com. Advisors are standing by to tell you how they can help and how your insurance can pay for it. I'm Debbie Strand with Sober in the City, here to tell you how I got sober and how I'm maintaining my sobriety one day at a time. We're also talking about life issues. We all have them. Maybe you're in recovery. Maybe you want to be. Maybe you should be. Or maybe you just found out that your husband hasn't paid the mortgage in about 10 months. We all have life issues and we still deal with this life one day at a time. Call us 800-SOBER-05. Tell me what's going on with you. If you're staying sober, maybe you didn't stay sober through the weekend, call me. 800-SOBER-05 and visit us at SoberInTheCity.com and listen live on the Sober in the City app for both Apple and Android devices. And if you or someone you love needs to get into detox, rehab, or you need an intervention, please call me. 800-SOBER-05. I am here to help. I mean, we have a really special guest with us here today. Dr. Daniel Fortunato is a friend of mine from the Believe Treatment Center here in the Palm Beaches in Florida. And we had a discussion last week and we were talking about if you walked into a bar and there were about 100 people sitting there drinking, statistically, how many would you find that were also using cocaine? How about heroin or prescription pills? So I looked up a few stats from this year and what we're finding out is that the use of OxyContin is way down. I'm really happy to hear that. I think some of the reasons are I've heard that it's coming off the market and that there was a lot of uh, places where people were doctor shopping that have been closed down. I know for sure here in Florida, and I'm hoping that that trend is continuing across the country. 94 million people have used cocaine for at least once. 94 million people have used cocaine at least once. The average age of illicit drug use, illegal drugs, is 23.8 years old. 23 year olds is the average age of people using illegal drugs. I think that's an incredibly young number. I've never heard of any old heroin addicts. I think either they get sober or they die. I just don't think people are using it long term. I read that people that are showing up for treatment, 44% are on drugs and alcohol. 46% of the people have co-occurring mental disorders. 40% of all violent crimes are committed while someone is under the influence of alcohol. I want to ask you, Dr. Fortunato, If you walk into a bar and there's 100 people drinking, statistically speaking, there are possibly 46 of them with mental disorders, 40 of them could commit violent crimes, and 44 of them are potentially on other drugs such as pills, cocaine, and heroin. Do you think it's a good idea to meet someone at a bar to date? Well, based on that, it doesn't seem like it is, but 
But more interesting to me is the fact that there are, this awareness has to be brought to the public because we can speak to a lot of people and they can be our friends. And until they know we're thinking about somehow the addicted world, the subjects don't come up. So this is all hidden. That's the shame part of it. It's not being brought out to the public enough because we need more of a national awareness. 23 point whichever is the age for drugs. Unless you're involved, you would never think that. Right, exactly. So that's what we want to do. We want to inform people about what's going on out there. And the young people are high. They're doing a lot of drugs. 23 years old. Is that what you're seeing that's coming into the treatment center? Yeah, we are seeing the ages between 18 and 25 are most frequent in our center. There's no doubt about that. And we are also seeing that it is difficult for them to recover as opposed to a person who is older. Why do you think they that is? A lot. I think that because of many facts, one is that most of them, in our experience, started to take drugs when they were teenagers. They started to take prescription drugs. And from the prescription drugs, but that mentality of taking drugs, it's kind of right here. So you think that they started taking prescription drugs as young kids? I mean, are doctors prescribing them to kids? Is that where it's yes. starting? Are they yes, going they into are. the... Our doctors are prescribing them to kids. What type of prescriptions are kids getting? Oh, they're getting Adderall. They're getting... They used to get Ritalin. There's a whole series of them. Okay, so so this is when uh, the typical story of the doctors over-prescribing over to children for ADD, ADHD, which is attention deficit disorder and attention deficit hyperactive disorder. And do you think that possibly most of them, it's just a behavioral thing and maybe the parents aren't giving them enough attention? Like we get, uh, uh, we've got a country that's grossly overweight and I think a lot of times parents are just giving kids food to soothe them instead of finding other tools because they probably don't have those tools themselves. Now they're giving them medication to calm them down, to keep them occupied, to zombie them out so that they don't have to be bothered themselves with nurturing their children, teaching them how to self-soothe themselves and to take care of themselves. Do you agree with that? I, that's part of it. Absolutely. You have to agree with that. That's pretty obvious. I mean, I don't want to blame it totally on the patient's lack of patient's um, parents' lack of uh, education, but there is that part of it that says, hey, if I give it to a medical doctor and he keeps uh, prescribing drugs, they must know what they're doing, so I don't have the responsibility to look further. And it's just really not that simple. It really isn't. It's really more has to do with a lot of the relationship of the parents with the children, and that is not largely addressed with these children that are coming here. They're just not addressing that. So uh, this is what we're finding out when we talk to these kids that are 20 years old, 21 years old about, you know, their mother, their father, there is definitely something missing in their relationship. Or we have uh, the kind of enabling that takes place well, the kids are totally approved of no matter what they do. There are no borders put on the kids until they grow up with these no border mentality, it seems, and it continues. 
What can we do to stop this cycle? How can we prevent this? Does it start with the education of the people that are in their 20s, 30s, and early 40s now that are raising children or having children? How can we get this word out? Well, we have to get the word out to some sort of educational uh, program. I have no idea exactly what to do, but we need to first understand that drugs are not always the answer. That there are many things, and they are in the treatment world, like uh, biofeedback and uh, uh, helping nutrition with neurotransmitters. There's a lot of stuff that's out there that helps the patient and without the use of drugs. And I'm not saying drugs are bad, but to do them so quickly, you know, really alters the brain chemistry of which we all pay for later because it's very difficult for the brain to re-regulate itself to normal when it's been so taxed by illegal and legal drugs. Right, a drug's a drug. It doesn't matter if it's legal or illegal. Debbie, what happens here, too, is that we really, as a nation, don't want to talk about mental illness. We only talk about it if we're talked to about it. Otherwise, people who have kids in their family have mental illness, they don't mention it to anyone. And so the consciousness is just not there nationally. And that's why we have these millions of kids that are mentally ill. All your statistics would shock people. They would never think that kind of percentage. If you ask people the percentage of people that are in a bar that are also substance abusers, they would probably say 2%, 3%, or maybe none. They're just having a drink. But not true, is it? I think that would be a lot higher. I I know the bars that I sat and drank in, geez, I would say 40% of us were doing dope of some form. We were were at least doing coke or smoking pot. That's right. I mean, it's a legal drug. Look, let's be honest. If alcohol came out today, now, for the first time, it would be considered a drug. It would never be legalized. It's just that it was legalized 90 years ago or something, and it stays that way. No, alcohol is a very powerful drug. It's just not called one in general. So it's not unusual for a parent to be drinking, and then the children see the same thing, and then it's just sort of like normal and quote-unquote legal. So what are some of the things that you're doing at Believe to try to uh, return the brains to normal, to return them back to health? What we do is this. Because of my years as a chiropractor and in the natural, you know, holistic world, things that we did with those patients we're doing with these, and even more so, such as nutrition to balance the brain chemistry. Because we believe firmly that there are what I call physical triggers from uh, chemistry imbalances in the brain that predispose the patient to be a further substance abuser. And if we can start normalizing the brain and then the chemistry can normalize, there's less chance of them taking. Now, our industry works on the individual ability to deny and get themselves together and go through uh, many great things on the mental side. 
but we're not considering enough the physical side. And some of this is just not the kids or the adults' fault. I'll, I'll give you a crazy example. I know it sounds nuts, and I don't mean it against any people, particularly females, but when a woman has a menstrual cycle, her chemistry is different. She's different. She's mm-hmm. not an abnormal person. <laughs> it's just the chemistry. Right. And we need to know and think that way. Chemistry is what we are. We're made up of chemicals. If they're out of balance, what do you think nutrition is? Nutrition is a chemical, a good one. Right. So that's what we do. We feed the body and we feed the brain. Dr. Fortunato, hang on with us. We're going to bring in a few more callers and we're going to talk about this stuff. And I I definitely want you to stay over for another segment with us. We're going to bring in Karen from Detroit. Karen, welcome to Sober in the City. Thanks, Debbie. Glad to be a part of it. I love what you do and the message that you put out and the way you reach out across the nation to offer help. Thank you. You know, we're trying to educate people and, and trying to get people help. And I think Believe is doing a great job. And I, I think addressing it from a chemical standpoint, uh, we're trying to balance out those chemicals. Perhaps we started with a chemical imbalance. We tried to self-medicate. Now we need to unmedicate and possibly remedicate in the proper way. And that's that's a tricky thing to do. We can't take the brain out and look at it and take it apart and figure out, you know, it's not like resetting a bone. Yeah, no, we definitely are a more intricate system up there in our brain. Uh, I really believe that the amount of people that are misdiagnosed and dual diagnosed is much higher. I once had a therapist that stated 80% of people that wind up in rehabs or with addictive problems actually have underlying mental illness. And that's one of the reasons that Substance abuse and alcoholism are now identified as actual illnesses instead of just moral issues. Yeah, definitely. And nobody wants to walk around. First of all, I had a hard time admitting that I was an alcoholic. I really didn't have too hard of a time admitting I was a drug addict because it was way too apparent. But now to admit that I have mental issues, (laughs) I don't like saying that. Do you? Well, I've actually come to a place where I've embraced being able to say that to raise awareness because it really does start out, raising awareness, like you were mentioning, really does start out in your inner circle. You and Dr. Fortunato were saying that we have to get the word out, and how do we do that? Well, one of the ways is to begin raising awareness in our circles. Some people might be receptive, other people might not. My own mother, when I was discussing mental illness and actually stated that I had been diagnosed ADHD, not till I was 40 years old, mind you, actually went off. She was having a bad day and she went off and told me, F you, get out of my house and don't ever come back again. I didn't create something like that. Oh my gosh. And- wow. Sorry that happened to you. <laughs> wow. Well, it was, it was okay. You, you, you know your limits now. Mom and I talk news. There's sports and casinos. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the same way that I was born, um, that I need corrective vision, there's something that's off in my brain. Now, somebody else might have been born with, I don't know, a sixth toe or um, autism or all these types of different things. And it's just a disorder, something that's not in order that we were born with. And I think our brains were not chemically balanced. 
I think it's as simple as that. Um, to label it mental illness, to label it ADHD, I don't know. I, I see a lot of these kids come in with these labels and they hang on to these labels and they can't sit still in group and I'm trying to get them to calm down. They're like, well, I have ADHD. So that's going to be their excuse across the board for not being able to behave, for not being able to sit still. So I don't really like the labels. I mean, has the label affected you at all, Karen? Oh, I think it does. And I find myself saying, oh, well, that's because I have this issue. But that's where we become dependent, as Dr. Fortunato was talking about, where everyone, and this goes back, Debbie, even to when I was a kid and the Rolling Stones came out with Mother's Little Helper. Valium was the thing back in those days. My mother gave me Valium because I became anxious before recital performances, and so she gave me one of her pills, not prescribed for me, but she knew that it worked for her. And she didn't like the way the pills made her feel. And I can appreciate that. But here we were going for the pill fix. Everybody's looking for the quick fix. We're in such a quick mental society. If it's not fast, I need a faster phone. Oh, my gosh, 3G wasn't good enough. We need 4G. (laughs) And so the stimulation right there of the brain waves and that, that the young people are constantly going, their neurotransmitters are out of control and not just because of the chemicals that they're putting in, but even because of the environmental issues. We have more chemicals in our environment than ever before. We're not a natural society anymore. Dr. Rapp is a world-renowned allergist, and I actually saw her at a convention, and she had people that were labeled with mental illness. The one boy his parents were even taking for exorcism, sweet little kid, about eight years old. And then he would turn into a demon and begin biting and spitting and swearing and doing all sorts of things. No one wants to look at the allergy of it all because it takes too much testing. The answer was not medication, but let's medicate. Let's do a symptom-based society and let's medicate the person down to where they're normal and they're functional. You know, that's where the whole doing the Thorazine shuffle came in. Mm -hmm. Well, let's keep these people that have severe mental psychosis just numb enough to where they're manageable and we can put them all in this one big building and let's um, put them, exclude them from society. Let's give them their own little world to live in. what did they find out this kid was allergic to? Oh, my gosh. Tomatoes. Oh, my God. He was allergic to tomatoes and anytime he ate anything with tomatoes in it, he had a set off like that. And the answer to be able to reduce allergies ends up not being a, you take it as a pill or a shot, but it's actually whatever you're allergic to watered down one hundredth of a point with water so that your body has enough of it, a small enough amount of it to begin to build up the antibodies so the allergies aren't affected any longer. And you're hearing so much about people with gluten sensitivities today. And someone was telling me about this franken wheat that they're growing that already has pesticide in it. So anytime I ingest bread, I'm getting sick because I'm taking in pesticide that my body can't process. So it's crazy. Well, when the autoimmune industry is out of control, I can't tell you how many how many autoimmune diseases are suddenly up on the radar. And autoimmune, your immune system actually is deflated by antibiotics. And what are they pumping all our cows and our chickens full of? Antibiotics. Antibiotics, right. So our system is is naturally being broken down 
And so I really think Dr. Fortunato's whole idea of going back to the nutritional elements and, okay, so you have ADHD. There's more than taking a pill for that. How can I eat better to be able to do that? And so much is not put into the behavioral health attitude of you need to learn new skills. I had an accident in 2008. 2009, I developed anxiety and PTSD from it. I didn't have that all the years I was getting high, and I was getting high since I was a little child, had my first drink when I was about three or four years old, wow. and it was commemorated with a picture at the picnic table because, oh, look, Karen's drinking strohs. Great. You know, isn't this cute, right? I mean, I'm German and Polish. That's all a part of our culture. You know, you, you give the children beer. You give the children wine. It's not a big deal. But it is for that person that, one out of four people, if you, they, once they ingest alcohol, Dr. Martin claims that one out of four, it's a proven theory, ends up having that allergic reaction. It's in the big book of AA, that we have an allergic reaction to alcohol. And that is why it was deemed a medical issue instead of just a moral issue way back when. So we really need to look at the universal person. We are not just a physical person, a mental person, or a spiritual person. We really are a triune person that puts all those together. Thank you very much. And that's what I see them doing at Believe. We're going to bring in Bob from Portland, Oregon. Bob, welcome to Sober in the City. You hear what we're talking about. What do you think about uh, the allergies that are going on, uh, the treatment plan of going holistic? Did you mix your drugs and your alcohol? Do you feel like we have mental disabilities too? I think that the... uh the root cause of most addictions are a lack of something else in people's lives. I don't think that it's so easy to blame it on one thing or another. I think that uh, it touches each individual person. Um, I've never had a drug alcohol problem, um, but I've just lost almost 100 pounds over the past year and it seems like this is getting to be an addiction, so I'm having to back off. I'm, so addiction comes in every form. It's everything from uh, drugs, alcohol, sex, uh, gambling, and religion. So many people have fallen back on religion as a crutch to get out of drugs and alcohol instead of the true meaning of being a spiritual person. Well, I think they do fall back and rely on things, um, uh, other things outside of themselves instead of trying to take care of their insides and getting back to, like you said, that spirituality. And we do talk about uh, food issues here on Sober in the City. And for someone to become 100 pounds overweight, do you think it was possible that you were medicating your feelings, what was going on inside of you, with food? Obviously, if you were that much overweight, it wasn't just, I'm hungry. Yeah, I think that it, and, and it's insipid. It, it, it's not, you don't lose weight overnight. You also don't gain weight overnight. Right. My, my weight gain, you know, dates back to when I was a child. And uh, I was able to curb that through my teenage years and my young adult years. And then when I got into my 30s and 40s, I started to gain weight. Um, it has been extremely difficult to lose weight, but I've been able to do it without drugs. Um, it's just been exercise and a diet. It's just now I look at myself in the mirror 
Although my wife says, you know, you've lost so much weight, you look like a Sharpay when I get out of the shower. Um, <laughs> but you're much healthier for having gotten that weight off you. It's but, not always oh, about how you exactly. look. I, right. I, I, I uh, was um, a type 2 diabetic. Well, I should say I still am, but I'm almost on no medication now because of the weight loss and the exercise. There's another addiction. I go to a gym. I pace myself at the gym. You know, I'm not young. I have a really bad back injury, um, so I don't want to aggravate it. But I watch people at the gym, and I go various times. And there are people that, it, because I go various times, they're there all day. They're there pumping iron all day. That's an addiction. It's an addiction to do anything in excess, whether you are a, a model and all you do is eat canned pumpkins, uh, <laughs> which people do, um, or you are an, you're addicted to power, or you're addicted to a drug. It, I totally it's agree. All a I, I totally agree, and I'm such an addict, I'm sitting here thinking, oh, does he canned pumpkin? I could do that. <laughs> Oh, terrible. I get addicted to anything. It's like, if that's a good diet plan, I'll try that. But you're right. Uh, you know, Dr. Fortunato will tell me, and he, he's told me before that if you're going to get addicted to anything, get addicted to exercising. That's good for you. But there is a point where it can be too much. Too much is just right. too much. But, you know, with you having back injuries and having had all that weight, that working out is good for that. It's good for the brain chemicals. It changes the brain chemistry when you're working out. It, the cardiovascular. I mean, everything. That exercise is a really great thing, but you have to do it within your limits because of your injuries. Right. And and I think that's what, what really um, made me start to realize that, oh, you might be going too far. Actually, this, uh, about six months ago, I ripped my bicep out. Um, and I don't have big biceps. I'm not one of those muscle guys. I'm just an average guy. I'm 62 years old. I, I ripped my bicep out. And boy, was that a wake-up call that, hey, you're doing too much. So um, I said, okay, enough of that. Um, I was a police officer and got injured on the job. And one of the uh, problems with what I saw with society is the ease of which to get legal drugs, not the illegal one. Mm -hmm. Because most people that go to that step, um, it's a different class. But I'm talking about alcohol. I'm talking about nicotine. Now, nicotine, besides your your immediate family, which you're poisoning, and yourself, which you're poisoning, yeah, it's, it's not, you're not going to get in a car and kill somebody because you're smoking. <laughs> um, but alcohol, absolutely, I think, is one of the worst drugs out there because of its availability. You can't go down the street without seeing a bar. Exactly. Down the street without seeing a liquor store. Yeah, the alcohol and its availability and its social acceptability really makes it one of the biggest drugs out there. I, I totally agree with you on that, Bob. When we come back, more about what did you mix? What illnesses will it produce? What substances are the hardest to get off of? And how will we ever stay sober? We'll answer that and more. 1-800-SOBER-05, Sober in the City. We'll be right back. And just because getting sober seems too hard doesn't mean it's not worth it. We'll be right back. I hurt myself today 
to see if I still feel I focus on the pain The only thing that's real The needle tears a hole The old familiar sting at Belief Treatment Center, we understand. We understand you are struggling. That's why our treatment nourishes mind, body, and spirit. We understand that recovery works differently for everyone. That's why we design individual treatment programs specifically for you. At Believe Treatment Center, we understand that it's not easy. That's why we offer a comprehensive scope of services, including nutrition, massage, chiropractic, and aftercare for you and even for your family. Believe Treatment Center is a 12-step friendly, state-of-the-art facility located in gorgeous Palm Beach County, Florida. We are experts in all types of addiction and recovery, and we are proud sponsors of Sober in the City. To find out more about our program and how your insurance may cover your treatment, call us today at 1-855-874-2354. That's 855-874-2354. 1-855-874-2354. Or visit BelieveTreatmentCenter.com. Believe Treatment Center. We understand. Are you a suffering addict or alcoholic? Is someone you know struggling with this disease? Let the Freedom From Addiction Foundation assist you with our acclaimed intervention and recovery coaching services. For a very affordable fee, we can set up and perform on-site interventions, ongoing treatment supervision, and personalized recovery and life coaching services. We are local, we are a nonprofit group, and we can work within your financial parameters by accepting most major credit cards and working with or without your insurance. Call today, 1-877-876-2329, 1-877-876-2329. Again, that's 1-877-876-2329. Recovery starts with one phone call. Call the Freedom From Addiction Foundation today.